no, nobody's awake. I'll get the piano player to come up and vaudeville play me out here. I, uh, um, <laughs> I uh, wow. I am uh, always amazed. One of the things I do in this job, uh, I talk to folks uh, about their marriages and I talk about their lives, about their struggles and everything else. And, and one of the things I have discovered in that process, in that effort, is that um, 90% of the time when somebody has a real, like, significant, huge personal struggle, um, we can start talking about their family and it takes about five minutes before we find that there's a great deal of, like, resonance there, um, that there's a lot of echo there, that, that uh, all of us, whether we like it or not, become our parents. Uh, and I'm just going to point out, Ethan is sitting down the road from his dad, and he's covering his face and laughing. And I'm not sure if it's because he's messing with his brother or because he thinks that's funny. Uh, I know that, that there are days I talk to my kids and I hear my mom. Anyone else? Uh, there are days I talk to myself and the kids say, who are you talking to? And I realize I am my dad. Uh, I, I, especially when I get off the couch and I do that, you know, noise and I know that's who I am. Um, it is a, it is a good thing. Um, not a bad thing for me. Because I, my dad is somebody I look up to. My dad is, is smart, and he was faithful in what he believed was right and, and all of that. But some of us, that's not so ideal, right? Um, but the fact of the matter is that we learn to live from our parents. True? We learn to live. When you get married, you see it especially because you learn how to fight from the way your parents used to fight. You learn how to spend money from your parents. You learn how to eat from your parents. That's a whole thing, right? Like where um, people who uh, have certain health problems produced by diet uh, tend to raise kids who have the same problems because they learn patterns. Uh, Titus, where'd you go? (laughs) My son, uh, I bought him a book yesterday. And before the end of the day, he had read it three times. At least. How many times, Titus? He left. He literally left the room. I thought he was hiding under a pew over here. Um, My daughter, Abby, how many books are you reading right now? Five. I, and, and that is, it's a little bit of who I am. I read several books at once. My wife reads more than I do. And, and we raise kids who read. Right? Because they see the importance of it. They understand the, the value of this thing. Because we learn to live, we learn to talk, we learn to act by watching our parents. And those training elements are there. Um, and that's a big deal. It's a big deal because um, up to a point you can't control it. Right? And after a point you can. Um, we're in the book of Daniel. But we're going to be jumping over to talk about Jesus a little bit as we go. We did the first two verses last week, and I'm hoping to finish the first chapter today. But it's hot. Um, it's so hot. How hot is it? Uh, I, I, that I have to be a little more lighthearted so people will react so I can tell you're still awake. Um, 
It is really hot. But we're going to talk about who raised you. We're going to talk about who taught you how to live. Um, and I'm going to read the first two verses again. You should know them by heart because we did them last week. Uh, in the third year, we're in Daniel again. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, uh, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles of the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia, which we talked about that. It's where uh, we talked about, like, the location of all this and and the war that took place and and some of the weird little intricacies here. Um, And put the treasures... Uh, put in the treasure house of his God. So, like, he took away everything. And actually, he took away people. There are three separate incidents during the, uh, during the early years of the exile and, and Babylonian rule over Israel, or Judah, excuse me, where they took away groups of people, where they took the cream of the crop, the, the royal family, the artisans, the folks who had skills, and they just carted them home because people are valuable, believe it or not. Um, a lot of people ended up as slaves, right? And that's actually where we're going to go in the text um, because we're going to uh, look at Daniel and his friends. Uh, and unfortunately, oh, my slides are not going to cooperate. Uh, unfortunately, Rebecca isn't here because I, I have several jokes that were specifically for her and her husband, but they're not here, and so they're all going to fall flatter. I'm going to have to come up with something on the fly. Uh, so we're going to pick up in three, right? And this is Daniel. Uh, they're in exile. This takes place in Babylon. Uh, then the king ordered Espenaz, and I am awful with Babylonian names as with Hebrew names, chief of the court officials to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. The reading with there should have been the royal family and even the nobility is actually a better translation. It's kind of a funky thing that they decided to do it that way. Um, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they would enter the king's service. All right. Um, So there's a lot going on here kind of under the surface. Um, We are told that uh, Nebuchadnezzar says, all right, guys, I need you to collect up some of the best of the best, and I need you to bring them here to be trained as court officials. The word used for court officials is also the word used for eunuchs. Um, Because a lot of times you would turn officials into eunuchs. Uh, which is a whole thing. Um, if you don't know what a eunuch is, ask your mom or dad when you get home, and they will probably explain it to you or just get mad at me. Um, but there's a strong argument in favor of the idea that Daniel and these other guys were um, altered significantly in the process of serving the king. That is not a given. The word also can mean just court officials. And we see it used in other places. And there's a lot of academic argument. At the end of the day, doesn't matter that much. I am mentioning it for a reason, though. Um, the reason I'm mentioning it is these guys are about to – all right, so you're talking about 13, 14-year-old kids, 
right? Because at 14 is the age where, like, you are considered acceptable to go into service and training in Babylonian courts, right? Like, like we know that from ancient documents. There's an awful lot of documents, like these cuneiform tablets, you know, and look it up. They're kind of neat. Uh, everybody still awake? Oh, we just love history lessons so much. It's so exciting. Um, they're about 14 years old. And at 14, they've been taken away from their home, Right? They're going to have to learn a new language. They're going to have to learn all of the literature of the Babylonian Empire, which is not a small thing because the Babylonians like came along and they beat the Akkadians and they captured their capital and they collected all of the Akkadian like uh, kingdoms, like empires, literature. And so actually Babylon, in addition to having one of the seven wonders of the world, they had one of the greatest libraries of ancient antiquity. And so these guys are not just getting an education, they're getting a world-class, next-level education. And they're basically going to be trained as bureaucrats because they're going to learn language, they're going to learn literature and art and everything else. They are going to be raised up at a special level, and they're going to be honored. How do I know that? Well, they're going to be fed from the king's table. That's not a small deal. Understand, we eat great. Everybody with me? I read a great article recently that the cheapest, most calorie-dense food ever available to humanity is the McDonald's double cheeseburger, which for a dollar will deliver you so much protein, carbs, and calories that the ancient world or the medieval era or even the 1800s, they would have dreamed of having that. Um, these guys, like, like you could literally, you could reasonably starve to death back then. And these guys are being fed not just the normal fare, which probably wasn't very good. They're being fed from the king's table, the best of the best of probably the most powerful man in the world at the time, right? Um, I, it's hard to put it on the same level with anyone, but it would be a little like me being invited to Jeff Be- well, no, Jeff Bezos before he got divorced. I don't think he's the richest guy in the world anymore. Um, that was funny. It's really, <laughs> it'd be like me being invited to Jeff Be- Bezos' house for dinner, and whatever they're serving me is what I get to eat every day for the rest of my life. It is good, Right? And so they are somewhere else. They're in a different culture. They're being forced to speak a different language. They've been physically altered for the job they're going to have. Um, everything about their world has changed, right? And that is a that is. It's hard to explain how big a deal that is. Um, but we're going to go on. Six and seven is where we start to hit an interesting tension. Um, among those who were chosen from some of Judah, or excuse me, from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now, I actually have to look at my notes. I can't just do this off the cuff. I apologize. I wrote it down so I wouldn't have to. Uh, Daniel actually means God is my judge, right? God is my judge. And that is a big deal because Daniel has a reminder. Right? I set a reminder on my phone this morning that says, Saturday night at 5 o'clock every week, go turn on the air conditioner. No amen? <laughs> so we're not cooking up here. But like, and that's a, just a ding from my phone, right? I uh, have a reminder 
there. But Daniel's reminder was his name. And so every day in this pagan empire, surrounded by luxury and options for like idolatry and pagan worship and everything else, Daniel gets out of bed and he remembers, I am Daniel. And what does it mean? God is my judge. I kind of believe this is a key to who Daniel was. But I think Daniel was raised right, despite being in the royal family from a lot of really crummy royal leaders, right? Because Israel's royal families at this point in history were, they were awful. Like they had some really, really low rent, awful kings. And that's how they ended up in exile because God finally says, I'm done with you people. I'm judging you based on the behavior of this king and he exiled them. And so Daniel, only God, or God is my judge, not only God can judge me. I think that's what uh, Tupac's name means. Thanks for laughing. Like the only, I was like saying that, and I thought the only person who's going to laugh at that is David's wife. Uh, Hananiah, Yahweh is gracious. Mishael, who is what God is? Which, to kind of explain, like, I, I actually read that, and I had to read it like ten times because it's kind of exciting. Who is what God is, meaning God is so amazing and other and different and great and powerful. Who can even compare to that, right? Uh, Michael, in Sunday school this morning, was talking about, like, the gospel and grace and the forgiveness that we have in Christ. And he said, you know what? What else, like, what else in our world can we look at that we could even understand that is like that? Because nothing is like that. Nothing is like what Christ did for us on the cross. Um, I paraphrased. I'm sorry, Michael. I can't quote you directly because uh, I don't remember. Um, Azariah, Yahweh has or Yahweh will help. Um, in the original Hebrew text, these are in alphabetical order to help you memorize them. Kind of interesting uh, as an aside. So we go on. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, um, which Bel is like an alternate name for Marduk, right? Who is like the chief god of the pagan of the Babylonian pantheon, and it means uh, man. My notes are really messy. Uh, Bel or Nebo, his son, uh, protect his life. So Bel protect his life. Shadrach uh, is the next one. So uh, let me find my spot again. The name are Hananiah, Shadrach. And it's interesting because Hananiah's name is God is gracious. And Shadrach, command, oh, I'm sorry, wrong one. Uh, the next one's the interesting one. Command of Aku, who is like the sun god or the moon god at the time there. Uh, so that Shadrach or Shak. If you're, like, familiar with the Message Bible, I think it's Shaq. Uh, to Mishael, Meshach, um, is it Rackchak and Betty? Yeah, that's it. I got it wrong. Uh, <laughs> I misquoted the message. Uh, <laughs> uh, Shadrach is a uh, command of Aku. Uh, who is what Aku is, is what Meshach means. So they took his name, which means... Who is what Yahweh is? And they change it to who is what, uh, what our God is. What, who is what Aku is. Uh, is sort of this pagan equivalent. This like mockery 
of his name, right? Um, and then, uh, and to Azariah, Azariah Abednego, Abednego, which means, uh, which is actually kind of funny because they, the Hebrew Bible mispronounces it. Um, it means servant of Nebo instead of servant of Nego, and they change it to Nego so that they don't say the name Nebo. Because, like, uh, it'd be like you being named after Hitler, right? Nobody wants to go by Hitler. Nobody wants to go by that, right? And so you change the name so that it's something different, or like Sue, um, if you're a boy, not. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I'm just trying to keep you awake, okay? Um, why does it matter? It matters because their original names, their names were reminders of who they were. Are you all with me? How they were raised, what they believed, and it went to the core of who they were. You, I cannot rename any of you, right? Like, uh, if I were to start calling, I don't know, uh, Jimmy uh, Todd, I could do it forever, and I got no right to rename Jimmy, Right? I, I got no right to rename John. I got no right to rename, you know, anyone because I have no authority to do so. However, did Titus ever come back in? Go beat him. He's off playing somewhere instead of sitting in here. Um, don't really beat him. I'm sorry. That was a joke. I don't. My daughter turned around and came back in to sit back down. She was on her way. Uh, I call Titus. I frequently call Titus Jose, right? It's just a dumb nickname. No way, Jose. No way, Jose. And he yelled at Jess, my name's not Jose. And so now he goes by Jose, right? And I call him Jose. And I can do that because I'm his dad, right? And there's interesting little moments of this. You see it in the Gospels. For example, um, there's a spot where Jesus says, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And he says, I tell you, this is not revealed to you by you, it is revealed to you by the Spirit. Um, and then he says, you know, and you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And his name actually already was Peter, uh, but he changes the pronunciation so it goes from, like, one meaning to another. And I think it goes from, like, a group of rocks held together to one solid foundational piece of rock. And he says, listen, you've gone from this to this. Or when Jacob, whose name was Liar, right? Jacob means bent or liar in ancient Hebrew, wrestles with the angel. And the angel renames him to Israel, which means he who struggles with God and, and wins, basically. Uh, Abram, whose name very awfully meant guy with no kids, roughly, becomes Abraham, which means... Father of nations, right? God would rename people because names carried weight and they carried significance and they carried meaning. And so to rename these guys was to stick a thumb in their eye and say, you belong to me now. But they had no real authority because they didn't belong to him. They belonged to God. And they never forgot it because somebody raised them up to say, this is who you are. And those names carried meaning, and they carried significance. My daughter's name is Abigail. 
with mean, which means father's exaltation um, or the father delights. I, any of y'all who know me and know my little girl, is that about right? I, my son Titus uh, is from the Greek meaning of the giants. And his middle name is Zane, meaning God is gracious. And my son is a giant. <laughs> I'm Eric, which means ruler. <laughs> but it also means ever or always. It's my mother's father's name who was a deacon in the Lutheran church um, during and after World War II, uh, who my mom would tell me stories about him riding around on his little motorcycle, uh, distributing food and, and you know, ministering to people. And I, I grew up knowing that I have this name like my grandfather. Um, and I hope to be a man who lives up to that name. But this is who I am, Right? Everett is my middle name. It's my grandfather's best friend's name. Uh, my father's oldest relative, uh, and it means wild boar. <laughs> it also means brave, hardy, and strong, but wild boar. So there you go. Uh, why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this because this is this is the this is the name I was given. This is who I am. Right? There's that country song. No matter where I, uh, I'm Rosemary's granddaughter, spitting image of my father, and she sings about all these things, that who she is. And she says, it doesn't matter where I go or what I do, do, I know who I am, and I will always be who I am, right? And what I'm talking to you about this morning is this idea that Daniel, along with his friends, these other guys, were brought into, Egypt, into exile, into, into the pagan world, and they continued to be who they were. They continued to live as who they were because they were raised right. And some of us don't have that going for us. Some of us were not raised right. In fact, actually, like most of us could probably point back and say, man, this is a mistake. Man, I hate that I do this. Man, I wish I wasn't like this. And there is this amazing thing that comes with the gospel. I'm actually going to split the text. I was going to do all the way to the end of the chapter. I ain't going to make it. Um, but that's okay because there's something huge here. Um, if we look at what the scriptures say about how Jesus called his people, called his followers, right? He taught them. Like, uh, actually, we're going to be I'm going to be reading up on this, but I, I I looked into it. I learned some interesting stuff. Um, the Gospel of Mark presents this image where Jesus calls his disciples and they travel around with him. And what he does is discipleship, and in that model, he teaches them how to live. Right? How many of y'all are the way you were when you found Jesus, like when you became a believer, versus how many of y'all have changed? How many of y'all have changed? How many of y'all have known me for about 10 years? Am I the same guy I was 10 years ago? Thank the Lord I'm not. Right? Because the Lord did not abandon me. He loves me exactly the way I am, but entirely too much to leave me the way I am. And I become more and more Christ-like, I hope. And I become more patient. I have not gotten quieter yet, but I hope that that comes in the list. 
Because when we follow Christ, he changes us. He makes us new. Um, a lot of his disciples he actually renamed outright. Like, All right, well, you're this guy now. Congratulations. Um, and why does he do that? Because they're new people. Actually, this is an idea that's central in Paul's uh, work is that in Christ we are buried and we're raised again as new men. That our old, old man is dead or is dying or that we're crucifying him every day and we're becoming something new. And as Daniel and his friends, as they traveled in ancient like Babylon, as they faced challenges, as they addressed like difficulties and, and worked their way through the stuff around them, they did so as people who knew who they were. Um, Thea, who is not here today, so I can talk about her all I want. Uh, Thea used to come over before school started, before she got into school, uh, when she was in preschool with Titus. They would come over here and they would play all day. And then she would go home and Thea would be like, oh, well, I'm just going to walk home. And I would say, Titus, you have to walk Thea home. Titus, why do you walk Thea home? Do you remember? Are you going to be shy? Oh, my daughter, so much like me, answers for him. We practice regularly saying, why are you doing this? Because that's what gentlemen do. Why do you hold the door? Because that's what gentlemen do. Why do you walk girls home? Is it because they can't do it themselves? No, it's because that's what gentlemen do. A good friend of mine, Barney Fultz, uh, always would tell this joke. It's not a joke. It's a story, an illustration. But these two people are walking up to a building, a man and a woman. And the man sees the woman, runs ahead, opens the door, and holds it for her. And she begins to step through. And she turns around and she says, I hope you're not holding that door because I'm a woman. She says, no, it's because I'm a gentleman. We interact with the world around us because we belong to Christ. Like the way we do things is because we belong to Christ. We make our decisions because we belong to Jesus. Because I am growing to become Christ-like. Because I am pursuing like intimacy with God through closeness, through holiness, through obedience. Um, because Jesus died and bought me. It's who I am. It's who I want to be. It's who I'm becoming it's what I, you know, the opposite of what I'm running away from, which is the old Eric. Um, and every one of us in the room, this is who we're called to be. This is what we're called to do. And actually, to take it a step further, is what we're called to teach each other to do. Some of y'all have come a long way. And you look around and you say, the folks around me are not nearly what they should be. And what Jesus... Wow, that's weird. What Jesus did with his disciples was he said, all right, guys, come on, live life with me and I'll teach you how, right? Hey, look, here's a blind man. What are we going to do here? And they say, well, is he blind because of this or because of that? And Jesus says, no, he's blind so God's glory can be shown and he heals him, right? Um, he encounters the Pharisees and has conversations with them. And then afterwards, he pulls his disciples aside and he says, all right, guys, let's talk about what just happened. Tell me what's going on. And he taught them how to live. Um, if you read the uh, Sermon on the Mount, we were talking about this this morning, the Sermon on the Mount can either be read as the most insanely difficult collection of laws that you would ever be expected to follow, right? And they are insanely difficult. You know, I, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, whoever looks at a woman lustily has already committed adultery with her in his heart. 
And it's like, oh, my gosh, how do I even go to the grocery store and stand in line at checkout? Like, you get those magazines and everything else. Like, you got to look at the floor the whole time, right? I, you know, you have heard it said, do not murder. But I tell you, whoever is angry with his brother has already committed murder in his heart. I'm really happy I don't live in a city where I have to sit in traffic because I'm just hellbound. Like, I don't even know what I do. Um, and in reality, what Christ is saying is, listen, it's not enough to follow the rules. You need to become the kind of man. You need to become the kind of person who is this. It's not enough to not murder my brother. I've got to not hate him. I've got to not pour gas on that fire and, like, feed that desire for revenge or bitterness or anger. Like, I've got to become the kind of person who doesn't seek out dirty pictures of women on the Internet, you know, which I, the world is all about right now. It's there, right? Um, you got to become the kind of people who are these people. Is that impossible? Absolutely. On your own. Right? But if you belong to Christ, he remakes you. I'm going to do one more verse, but it's going to be the one we're going to do next week. Uh, But Daniel resolved. So after all of this... Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief officials for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now, God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to David. But the official told Daniel, or to Daniel, sorry. But the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would have my head because of you. Um, And so what Daniel does is he turns around. He says, listen, I'm in a strange land. I can eat whatever I want, right? And why is that a big deal? I can eat whatever I want now. Because, number one, this food wouldn't have been kosher. And number two, it would have been sacrificed to idols, right? And so it is a big flaming no-no for these guys. And at risk of his own life, because, like, Daniel's in a pretty precarious position. Slaves are kind of a dime a dozen, right? I mean, like, there's all kinds of potential negatives. He steps up and says, this is not who I am. I will not do this. You ever stand in a crowd of people who are all doing the wrong thing and figure out how easy it is to do the wrong thing in a crowd of people? I remember, actually, as a memory I have, I frequently think back to a Real big guy when I was in high school, real big guy beating up a real small guy. And I remember standing there thinking, I should say something, I should say something, I should say something. And I did not, because everybody around me was not saying anything. It was really easy to not say anything. And as much as we all like to think, oh, I'd be the hero in the moment, the reality is most of us would not be. The truth is that Daniel looked around him and and he said, I'm Daniel and only God will judge me. Or, excuse me, God is my judge. Let's say Tupac. God is my judge. I need to act right. God is my judge. I need to live accordingly. And so I may be Eric, um, but I'm Eric, grandson of a church deacon who ran a store during World War II that smuggled and falsified records to feed people who weren't supposed to get food uh, in Nazi Germany, actually. That is who I am. Um, I'm adopted in the family of God, meaning I am a son of God. Um, I belong to Jesus. I am his servant. 
and that is who I am. And so when I step into situations where no one's watching, and the world is full of times when no one is watching, I do the right thing, or I try, right? When I'm in those moments where I want to be angry and dumb, I step back and try to put that in a box, and I say, what would Christ have me do? What am I? Who am I? What am I supposed to be? My challenge for you today, I know this is a bit scattered. Um, I had intended on doing the whole text, and I was going to tie it all together, but there's so much cool history to talk about. My challenge for you today is to look at yourself and ask, am I being the person Christ means me to be? Right? Am I being who Christ is making me into, or am I living in the old way? Am I being Daniel, or am I being Belshazzar, or whatever his name is? Um, Am I letting the world decide my path, decide what I say, decide how I act, how I spend my money, what I worship, what I focus on, what I spend my time on, and everything else, what I fill my heart with? Is the world deciding it, or is Christ? That's a hard question, isn't it? Kind of a miserable question. Um... Here's another question. Who raised me? Because some of y'all, like, again, nobody raised you right. You might look around and say, this is a believer who I look up to. I should ask them to help me be better. Isn't that amazing? Because it's just all discipleship is. It's come and learn how to live. Actually, I, oh, my gosh, I am so happy Jeremy isn't here. He would pick on me to the end of my life. Doing this, but he's going to watch it online. This is Matthew 11:28 in the message. Are you tired, worn out, burnt out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy on you or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. It's one of the few passages that that Peterson did phenomenally with. We walk with Christ, and he teaches us how to live. We walk with his children, with our brothers, and they teach us how to live. It only works if we let them. It only works if we're open with them, right? How many of you all got garbage hidden I was going and cleaning Titus's room the other day. And I lifted up his mattress and I found a treasure trove of chocolate chips, which had been shoved under the bed along with wrappers and cups. I mean, cups. All you have to do is bring them downstairs. And shells from pistachios and a million other things. And I said, Titus, what is this? It's all the stuff I shoved under my bed, but all of us have it, right? That thing you said, that thing you turned to, that thing you love a little more than you know you should, that bitterness you keep hidden and held on to and everything else. Like we all have our sin. And the way you overcome it, the way you get past it is to confess it, but also to walk with a brother who teaches you how to be better. My challenge to you is to ask, who's teaching you how to live? Or is anyone? Is the TV doing it? Um, This is actually a communion Sunday, and I really hope we have enough. 
because I think we planned for a small turnout, and it's the 4th of July, so we're like, nobody's going to be here. And there are a lot of people here. Um, so we are probably for the last time going to do our COVID version of socially distanced uh, communion distribution. Titus, are you going to help somebody walk down the aisle and let people loose for communion? Come on. Uh, Jeremy, can I pick on you? Are you going to help me? I don't have Jeremy Erie, so I've got to use backup Jeremy. 